Hello, this is Diane from Diane Abroad. The show is In the Know, her podcast show. Um, I'm an international solo nomad, an author, a travel blogger, and a photographer. And I'm here to provide you writing tips, travel tips, and my views of life from savvy and thoughtful to quirky and humorous. The music that you hear, Jazz Infusion Piece, was written for me by Rafael Javadov, an incredible Russian violinist. We thank him for that music, of course. And I hope you enjoy the show. This is Diane Schindler for In The Know. I have a special guest today. This is so exciting. It's one week before Thanksgiving, and Robert Goddard, otherwise known as Bob, has agreed to allow me to interview him today. This is such a treat. I met Bob at the Florida Annual Writers Conference in Orlando a couple of weeks ago, and he and I ended up sitting at the same table, the thriller table. He's going to tell you about his thriller that he's written, and I'm in the process of writing a thriller, but we sat there and chatted, and we kind of ran into one another the whole weekend, and I learned a lot about him, and I was intrigued. I, I read his poetry, and I said, please, 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 will you be on my podcast show, and, and, he, and he agreed. So let me give you a brief introduction, and then we can listen to Bob. Bob grew up in Georgia. He, was, he, was, uh, he had four years in the U.S. Air Force. He earned an associate degree in science from Middle Georgia State University and a bachelor's of business administration from Georgia College. He married his college sweetheart, Priscilla, and uh, they have four sons and five grandchildren. And most of his business career was spent in long-term care in the long-term care industry, first as a financial officer and later as an owner. He retired in December of 2012, and now he's pursuing a writing career. Welcome to In the Know, Bob. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here, too. I have a list of questions for you, but the first thing, I would like for you to elaborate, if you will, on your background. I mean, I just talked about a few things, but I'm very impressed with your background. Tell us about yourself. Well, I grew up in a small town in Georgia, and... Uh, Discovered the pool hall when I was 16 and almost flunked out of school because <laughs> I spent all my time there. Oh boy. But uh, when I graduated, couldn't find a job in that little town and joined the Air Force and was uh, spent four years on remote sites in, in different places uh, doing work that was classified top secret. And when I got out, uh, my mother had moved to another town and I had uh, no place to go except to go live with her and her new husband. And it was in a strange town where I didn't know anyone. But I've written a poem related to that that I might get to later. But anyway, um, after that, I, uh, I worked for the telephone company for a little while and then saw that I wasn't getting anywhere and uh, knew that I had to get a college education to uh, improve myself. So... I left a car I had that I couldn't afford, parked on the side of the road, and went to college. Oh, and, that's uh, that's an interesting way to to enroll. Well, that was well, serious. You were you were committed. I'm impressed by that. Yeah, it's uh, deferred gratification. I knew I couldn't afford I couldn't afford the car working for the phone company. I, I knew I couldn't afford it in college, and it it was holding me back. You know, because everything I was all my money was going for car payments and gas and insurance and everything. So I did without a car for four years in college and uh, 
didn't, didn't hurt a bit. Uh, you know, I participated in a lot of activities. I was in a play every quarter and uh, met my wife on stage, in fact, during a rehearsal. And uh, got that business degree and went to work as a CPA and uh, worked mostly on clients in the healthcare industry. And then one day I got an offer from a large company to come to work for them. And I did. And uh, that led to my ultimately being an owner of nursing homes and, you know, a part owner. And that's what I retired from after many years. Uh, since I retired, I've begun writing. I've always wanted to write. Uh, matter of fact, when I was in junior college, I wrote a little one-act play that ran about 10 minutes. It was performed by the drama club that I started. It was a brand-new junior college and didn't have uh, any of the standard clubs, so I started a few for them. But they performed it for me. And then um, after that, I wrote a couple of short stories. One was science fiction, and the other one was about a hunting adventure. And I never did anything with them. I wrote them and, and set them aside. Uh, then uh, 2001, uh, I, be I began uh, working on a novel, but I, I bought a lot of books. I knew I had to read what other writers were doing. I bought about 300 books over a you know, three-year period and read them all and gave them to libraries afterwards. But I had to see what other writers were doing, what they were writing about, how they were going about it. And, of course, I studied some how-to books and all that. And... Uh, my first novel was called Upper House Conspiracy. Uh, it was published in 2006. Now, what's the, what was the, what's the name the title of it again? Upper House? Upper, Upper House Conspiracy. Uh -huh. Upper House okay. being, being the Senate. I see. Oh, I see. Okay, good. Go ahead. And I've got a little short res, uh, synopsis of it that I'll read to you if you don't mind. Well, go ahead. Go right ahead. While pursuing a scandal story for his tabloid, Will O'Brien, a discredited former investigative reporter, discovers an aging senator's recent death by heart attack was an assassination. He makes that claim in his weekly article, which produces a mysterious informer who tells him of an incredible conspiracy to assassinate senators in order to control the outcome of the midterm elections. O'Brien and DC detective Zalva Martinez pursue the conspiracy through a trail of murdered participants and witnesses discovering a cabal of political fanatics with ties to one of our oldest European allies. Desperate to save the last remaining witness, they fall into a trap set by the conspirators, a trap from which escape seems hopeless. And uh, there's a little uh, blip here about why I wrote the book. Since the days of Teddy Roosevelt, the United States government has involved itself in the eternal affairs of various nations around the world, clandestinely and overtly, to contain communism, protect our economic interests, and to promote world peace. Will that come back to haunt us? According to an old saying, what goes around comes around. <laughs> and now we've just gone through, through three years of allegations that the Russians have interfered with our elections. So, you know, what, what went around has come back. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm interested in, in, in your synopsis. What ally were you speaking about? in France. their synopsis. France? Right. Yeah. And that, yeah. Was, that was a mistake because all the liberal editors and uh, uh, agents uh, love France. Well, let me ask you this now. Is this, and this is the book that you had, tell me, is this the book that is no longer on Amazon? You took it off? Right. I took it off because 
I, I didn't know it at the time, but there's another writer, an English writer with the same name, Robert Goddard. Uh, his name is Robert John Goddard, but at that time he was using just Robert Goddard, which I did too. And uh, Barnes and Noble and uh, Amazon and all the libraries that, that bought my book listed it under the other guy. You know, if you could click his name on uh, Amazon, it would show all the books he'd written along with my book. Oh, and uh, and a lot of people bought his bought my book thinking they were buying his, and, and they expressed their displeasure in uh, reviews, comments on the book. I had some good comments on it too, but I couldn't be sure how many books I was selling because they were good books, or simply because there were mistakes on the buyer's part. So I just took it off. I took it off the market. I, I'm thinking seriously about redoing it and eliminating the reference to the party names and uh, changing the, the country behind it and uh, reissuing it. Yeah, making it a little more a little more non nonpartisan. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. Yeah, well, you know, I think you should I think you should do that. I mean, the synopsis sounds fantastic. I can't believe, by the way, Bob, when I look at your background, you know, a CPA, that's like what, left brain? CPA. Yeah, I guess. I don't, and then yeah. you're then you were involved in theater and you're and you're writing and you're writing poetry, which we're gonna get to in a minute. But you are obviously extremely talented and well-rounded left brain right brain and also driven i mean when i think about that synopsis i think about not only politics not only um foreign affairs but also law you had to didn't you include in that novel some scenes in the courtroom did you have to do that oh that's a play i've written a play that is a murder trial Oh, I okay. Well, then I'm back. I'm sorry for I'm sorry for confusing myself and and the audience. I'm sorry about that. Well, still, so here you are writing a play that also also has to do with the courtroom. So you th I think about the for me that would be such um, a wide um, span of research I would have to do to do the play, the content of that play that you described to us, and also the novel that you have written. It's just very impressive. And that well, novel have, is also a thriller, right? It's a thriller. Uh, yeah, it, it is sort of. It's, uh, it's a long play. It's about two and a half hours uh, long and it's a murder trial. And the, uh, uh, the, the uh, jury comes from the audience, 12 people who volunteer, they actually sit on the stage and they decide the outcome of the play. And uh, of course, when, I've now, when was that? When did you do that again? Tell me the year. I've just finished it this oh, year. Oh, good. Oh, good. It uh, so really that's, is. Well, a, that's, that, that is so fun because it's really interactive and it gets everybody involved. Well, it came from a, a novel manuscript that I didn't publish that mm -hmm. I could not get an agent interested in. And um, the book, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was my very first novel. and. I had a lot of uh, superfluous information and a lot of things that didn't didn't uh, help the action move along. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but about the last uh, quarter of that book was the murder trial as seen from a newspaper reporter's viewpoint. Wow, that's... The hero of the book. So in the play, you know, there, there is no viewpoint other than what the audience sees. So That's right, yeah, I understand that. Well, that, golly, I'm just, you know, I keep saying golly, golly, because when I met you, 
in Orlando, you know, we talked a little bit, but I am so smart to ask you to be on the show because um, I'm just so impressed with everything that you're doing. Now, um, I want to ask you, you know, not only have you written plays and novels, and let me, how many books have you written? I have written three novels, uh, only one published. And what about and those other two? What about those other two? Are you going to get those other two published? What are you going to do? Uh, yeah, I'm going to finish them up this year. That's one of my plans for 2020. One is like, well, one I've actually finished and uh, showed it to six agents and uh, all six of them said it didn't wind their clock, you know. So yes. I've got to make some changes to it. I think my hero is too passive. But uh, I, I, I wrote a play based on the information on, on that plot. Mm -hmm. The uh, book had actually two plots that uh, kind of worked in tandem yes. with uh, the two main characters in each plot uh, coming together about two thirds of the way through the book and solving both plots. And uh, so I, I took the one of the plots and, and made a play from that. And that's the uh, called uh, Seesaw. It's a three act mm -hmm. play uh, where a guy inherits a, a house in uh, Charleston and discovers that the next door neighbor's missing wife is buried under the under the house, and mm -hmm. all the, all the things he was going to inherit uh, his uncle's estate, uh, you know, about ten million dollars, uh, uh, is uh, his, the estate is sued by the neighbor's husband, <laughs> and uh, so he's lost that, and then he loses a job uh, that he came to Charleston to do, and then he has to fight to get it all back, and uh, you know it's uh, the mastermind behind the plot is uh, a surprise. Uh, I don't want to reveal that. Yeah, don't don't reveal the prize, that's for sure. Well, the plot line, as you have described it, is pretty riveting for me. So I hope that you, I hope I can read that sometime. That would be great. That would be Well, wonderful. you can read it anytime you want. I'll send you a copy. I would love that. I would love that, really. Now, and now you've written poetry. I mean, one of the things that happened for those of us for those of you who are listening, one of the things that happened is um, after Bob and I kept running into one another, you know, he said he'd written poetry and would I be willing to read his poetry? Well, you know, my background is English. I know a little bit about uh, English and poetry and, and something about writing. And so he brought to me three, I think three or five poetry poems, I can't remember. And I took them back to my room that night and, and read them and was, was just very impressed. So now, because, you know, it's, the poems are allegorical and it's iambic pentameter. I mean, people, so you have so much knowledge. Tell me how you got into writing poetry to begin with. Well, in uh, college, I had a really good poetry course and uh, I still have my textbook. Matter of fact, it's uh, been, had about 20 uh, issues since that mm -hmm. date, but uh, I still have my original and I bought uh, one of the most recent uh, editions. And have you written poetry all these years or are you just kind of getting back into it now? No, I just, I'm just getting back into it. Uh, it's something that uh, it doesn't take as long as a novel and it's not as complicated as a play. And I was at my sister's house in Florida visiting her in Winter Haven mm -hmm. and they were feeding squirrels in the backyard and uh, birds and things, but the squirrels were getting all the bird food. So 
uh, my brother-in-law decided he would feed the squirrels separately. So he uh, bought a sack of corn and started putting a corn on a piece of corn on a, a stake on a, in the trunk of a tree. And he was thinking he was going to feed all the squirrels, but one squirrel took it over and wouldn't let any of the others eat. And then you, so then you wrote the poem, The Alpha Squirrel. Alpha Squirrel. I could see that the squirrel had, uh, you know, he dominated the tree. He wouldn't let any other squirrels on the tree. He would eat corn. He wouldn't get out and do all the things he'd been doing before. And when the other squirrels would put out warning signals, you know, like for hawks or anything around, he had begun to ignore those. So I decided to write a poem about it. Can you read it for us? I surely can. Thank you. The Alpha Squirrel. In neighbor's yard, the alpha male held sway and lorded over others of his kind, cavorted, foraged, gambled all day, and mated when it entered his mind. But now my neighbor spikes an ear of maize upon a small tree trunk at nine each morn, and alpha squirrel in a selfish craze does chase his mates away from tree and corn. No longer does he forage, play, or mate. For fear another will usurp his throne. So he resides in this dependent state and now is slow and fat and all alone. <laughs> and when the corn is late, begins to squawk as now, but does not see the swooping hawk. <laughs> Gluttony. Is that what that's about? Gluttony. Well, yeah, and that happens to, uh, that happens in real life in other areas. You know, people get used to get dependent on someone and then they, they, they don't necessarily see what's coming down the road. When you give yeah, up- Yeah, they give up what's important to them because the only thing that becomes important is the, the squirrel's food and he'll let everything go to make sure he gets that food. Right, you become, you can easily become a, a tool that someone else is using when you become yeah. dependent on them. A tool of somebody else's using. Yeah, I like that. Now, um, can you read another poem for me? And, and then when we do that, we're going to just take a little, um, we're going to take a little break. But do you have another poem that you'd like to read for us? Yes, uh, I'm going to read this one. Uh, like I said before, I, my four years in the military was from 18 to 22. And I was uh, stationed in places where there just weren't any women and uh, no way to get to town, no car, you know. And uh, while I was over there doing that, other guys my age were getting married. They were dating, you know, having a good time. When I came back, like I said before, I went to a strange town where I didn't know anybody. And my grand, my stepfather would take me to town on Saturdays and drop me off and I'd go to the pool room. And I would play pool and gamble for money until I was tired of it. Then I'd get out and walk the streets. Back in those days, uh, people still shop downtown. So the sidewalks would be crowded on Saturdays, lots of women, lots of them nicely dressed, good looking. And it just ate my heart out, you know, because I didn't know any <laughs> of them and didn't know any way to meet any of them. So I wrote this little poem, which is also allegorical. I'll read it. On looking back, when I was young and free and full of pop, I'd go downtown to Rome and strut the street on Saturdays when women came to shop and hope a lithe young beauty I would meet. Some were so beautiful my soul would ache because I knew them not and never would. And sometimes after they passed, I'd take a look behind, admire, and wish I could. One day, a beauty looked back at me and smiled, then paused to view its door display. And I, 
I stood as stiff as though a tree, and with a puzzled look, she strode away. For weeks afterward, I trod that same sidewalk, remorseful over my failure to act, this time resolved to woo and not to balk, but never saw again she who looked back. That is so sad. Isn't that sad? <laughs> but don't you have something that you look back and looking back on your past that you didn't do the right thing and you wish you had that opportunity back? Yes, but it certainly wasn't as um, beautiful of, of imagery that you describe in this poem. I really like um, in the second stanza, the second line, let me allow me, please. Some were so beautiful, my soul would ache because I knew them not and never would. Oh, that's such a, I love that line. I mean, I hate it. You know what I mean? I hate it because not hates too strong a word here, but it's like, it breaks my heart. And um, I wanted the, I wanted it to be romantic. I mean, I think it's a beautiful poem, but uh, you know, when I read it and you and I chatted about it in Orlando, I don't know if I told you this, but I thought, gee, I like romance to end, romance kind of to end well, like in a novel, you know, one of the, the oh, yeah. in a novel, the, all the romances are supposed to end well. Anyway, so I said to you, oh, well, well, maybe it was your, maybe it was Priscilla. And you said, no, 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 it wasn't Priscilla. Long before I met her. <laughs> I would like to take a moment to tell you about a future podcast episode, a little teaser. For all of you, I'll be interviewing Marilyn Atlas. Now, I met Marilyn the same place I met Bob. I met her at the Florida Writers Conference a couple of weeks ago in Orlando. She's a film producer and a literary manager, a talent manager and a literary manager. She's an author and an award-winning producer. She has an extremely successful record of producing films for HBO and even the big screen she co-produced the award-winning play entitled To Gillian on her 37th birthday. And this play was made into a film starring Michelle Pfeiffer and Peter Gallagher. She also has co-authored a relationship-based screenwriting guide called Dating Your Character. Marilyn Atlas's lists goes on and on and on. Her successes go on and on and on. They're just too num numerous to mention here, but you simply, I'm asking you, you simply must tune into this interview. I estimated to go live uh, the week after Thanksgiving. I hope you'll join me for this special episode interviewing Marilyn Atlas. if you were thinking about putting your poetry together in a book I will one day I've got a list of other topics uh, I keep a notebook handy uh, wherever I'm at and I get an idea I'll, I'll write it down I've got it divided into sections one section for short story ideas one for, for plays and another one for poetry I've got at least a dozen more topics I want to write on on poetry yeah well you're, you're awfully prolific now, um, are, is that what you're working on right now, or is it something special that you're working on right now? 
right now I'm, I'm uh, putting the final edits on both my plays. You know, you don't, you don't get an agent to market your play for you. You have to market it yourself. You have to find somebody that's going to perform or produce the play. And, and uh, I'll be working on that for a while. These two plays, I won't write another play for a while until I get one of these uh, performed somewhere. Well, so what do you do? Do you, how do you market that? What do you, do you go to a community theater and ask them to? Well, yeah, you, you have to, you can Google uh, uh, different kinds of theaters on the internet. Like I Googled uh, community theaters in Mississippi and got a long list, you know, every one of them in the state. But most theaters already have their season planned out and maybe the next one too. So even if I found one that would do it, it might be two years before one of them did it. There are all sorts of contests that uh, you can uh, enter. They're called for submissions. Mm -hmm. uh, I belong to the Dramatist Guild and they, on their website, they provide a list of opportunities. The, uh, people, uh, theaters or performance groups that want uh, a new play, they'll list with Dramatist Guild and they make that information available. They'll tell you what kind of play they're interested in, how long they want it to be and that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. you just have to keep it's like uh, getting a novel published. You just have to keep sending it to agents until one of them buys. Yeah. Well, yeah. The thing is, though, you know, if you've write, written a novel, you can self-publish. You can self-publish. But, but if you self-publish a play, it, it, it doesn't, it's not useful unless somebody actually performs it, right? That's right. Uh, the end, the plays aren't written to be published. They're written to be performed. And mm -hmm. You know, the ones that are published are usually ones that have been performed many times and by famous writers, you know, and uh, people like to read them. I like to read plays. I don't have to see it performed. You know, I, I've read all of Shakespeare's history plays. and I just love them. I've read most of them five or six times. But uh, I just I just love drama. And, yeah. Uh, it's tough. It's tough to market it. I'm excited about your playwriting and your screenwriting. I, I wanted to ask you then, because it leads me right into the Black Rose Theater Company that you mentioned to me in your bio. Can you tell us about that? I was an alderman in Brandon uh, for eight years. Now, what's and an alderman? Th tell me what an alderman is. Uh, a board of aldermen runs the town. You know, the mayor is a figurehead. Uh, the board of aldermen does all the hiring, firing, uh, setting pay rates, and all the actions. The mayor uh, is a figurehead. He signs important documents on behalf of the city and, you know, holds a, a management meeting like once a week with all the department heads, uh, make sure that they're all working out their own track. But he's like an executive director, uh, but the alderman run the show. And mm -hmm. uh, I was an alderman for eight years and I was having coffee one morning with the uh, head of the local chamber of commerce. And he was saying, boy, we need to get something going around this town. There's nothing going on. I said, well, we could start a community theater. And he didn't know anything about that. But he said, well, if you'll, if you'll start it, uh, I'll put a notice in the paper about an organizational meeting. So he put the notice in the paper. And uh, that weekend, that was on a Friday, that weekend I wrote the, the bylaws. And uh, we had an organizational meeting about a week later. And 48 people show up. And we elected uh, board members, and I was uh, voted the board member and made president the first year. And uh, we opened our first performance in the courtroom. It was uh, Ann Rand's play, The Night of January 16th. Mm -hmm. uh, we performed that. 
And uh, because I was president, it was kind of my baby. I uh, went to every rehearsal and every play, uh, every uh, performance and every every cast party. <laughs> and it's but still I, an operation. It's still an operation, it is. isn't it? It is. Uh, by the third play, we had our own theater building. I went around to keep people around town and asked for $1,000 contributions for a building fund. Mm-hmm. And I raised a good bit of money that way. Did a bicycle ride. I raised $1,500 in pledges on a bicycle ride. And then I sold advertising for the first year in the program. And uh, we got a good bit of money from that. But we, we were, And I uh, guaranteed a loan for the building. And the theater bought an old abandoned building downtown. And we converted it to a theater. Wow, you have done it all. I, you have done it all. The marketing, the writing, the poetry, the, the screenplay, the plays, the CPA. I mean. Well, one day maybe something will come of it. <laughs> well, that, that's, you know, you're also humble. In a way, you're humble. Um, in a way, you're not humble, Bob. That's what I like about you. Don't you don't know me. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, the, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because you told me a little bit about your background when, I, when we were in uh, Orlando. And, um, but not, not so much that I've, that I've learned about you today. And the rest of us have learned about you today. So this has been a really good treat. Now, you know, I just wanted to say something. I don't know if this is appropriate, but, you know, I'm going to say it anyway. We have two theaters here in Amelia Island, Florida. It's been around a long time. It's a great big, beautiful building. It has two theaters in it, actually. One is the, the original theater, and then the other theater is much more full-blown. At the same time, we have another theater in town that is... Um, it's only been around, I think, maybe five or six years. And I think you and I should talk because I know the owner of that theater and they do some, I don't want to say experimental stuff. I don't know how to say this, but they do some plays written by people, you know, that are not, you know, published all over the world or all over um, New York City. So they do familiar plays and then they do um, other plays as well. And, you know, you and I should chat. I'm wondering if I could introduce you to the the owners of this second theater and uh it's a little place it's only like a seats a hundred and it's very unique and it's well attended and so maybe maybe there'll be an opportunity for you there for, for one of your plays now uh, i have hopes that the black rose theater will do my play next year but their season's already picked you know uh, mm-hmm. for, well they have two years from now their season's already picked through then but then again, I don't want to put a lot of pressure on because they might think I'm trying to take advantage of, of the situation that I was the founder, you know. And yeah, well, I th- well, how long has it been in existence? Has it been 28 years? Yeah, I haven't had anything to do with it lately. Yeah. yeah, but the 30, I think we ought to go to the 30th year anniversary celebration with the founder and do his play. Yeah, that suits me. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. By the way. Uh, yes. No, my wife uh, directed about a dozen plays for the theater over the years. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, you know, we were in drama together in college. So yeah, that's she, so sweet. Yeah, she turned out to be a really good director. Yeah. Well, I cannot thank you enough. Look at what we have talked about. I have found out so much more about you and about your books and, it's, and your complicated and, and, and riveting plots and your poetry and your plays. 
I, I'm just, I just had a, a wonderful time. Now, I wanted to let the audience know, I'm going to, with Bob's permission, I'll have a link to his website and I'll show you, I'll have a great, he's a handsome guy. So we're gonna have his photo on there and uh, his email. So you can talk to him and email to him. And also um, you can read more of his poetry because I'll have a link to, to his website. Is that right, Bob? Yes, uh, you can uh, click button under the page that says works. Uh, there's a button for each poem. You just click that button and you'll, you'll get the poem. Okay, good. Well, is there anything you'd like to, to end with here before we close out? Well, Justin, I'm going to uh, email you uh, a copy of the uh, Seesaw. Yeah, the React code. I would and, love that. Uh, yeah, and you can use that if you want to. You can show it to the person in Amelia Island that you're talking about. Okay, I'll, I'll try that. Um, maybe after Thanksgiving, I can get over there. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes, and for those of you, um, please, if, if you like this program, if you like this episode, you can support it by writing a review and, and sending it to your friends and subscribing to In The Know podcast show. Thank you so much and look forward to seeing you, quote, seeing you on In The Know and especially watch out for this Maryland Atlas interview. Thank you so much.